Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we're continuing our read-through of Mockingjay with chapters 7 and 8. Could you start us off with a recap of what happens in these chapters? Padness arrives in District 8 with a capital film crew, Gale and Boggs. They meet Commander Paler and visit a makeshift infirmary where the wounded are ecstatic to see Katniss. But when incoming bombers are detected, Katniss and the crew are instructed to take cover. Yet, when Katniss realizes the bombers are going for the hospital, she and Gale disobey orders and destroy the planes with explosive arrows. When they see the hospital was destroyed regardless, Katniss gives an impassioned speech to the camera, ending with a threat to snow. If we burn, you burn with us. The next day, everyone in command is happy with the propo that was put together and aired in the districts, and the film and production crew have ideas for many more propos. Hamish threatens Katniss with an implant if she takes out her wire again, and Finnick joins Katniss in the hospital where they see Masala's new propo and a second interview with Peta, who has clearly been tortured. He asks Katniss if she really trusts District 13 and the Rebels, and encourages her to find out if they aren't telling her things. To avoid giving away that she doesn't trust them all, she and Finnick pretend like they didn't see Peta's interview at all. Peta. Aww. We haven't seen Peta for a good five chapters. Yeah. A bad five chapters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember the first time I read it. I was just like, where's Peta? We need more of Peta. <laughs> and then you read this and you're like, oh, oh no, no Peta. there's Peta? <laughs> exactly. Well, let's get into our striking moments, the moments that stood out to us during this read-through. What stood out to you? I honestly forgot that District 13 sent medical supplies and mm. medics to District 8 and that those medics died in the bombings too and so realizing that not that i (laughs) agree with everything that district 13 does but at least they are providing something to the districts Mm -hmm. instead of nothing (laughs) yet trying to control everything because yeah medical supplies must be incredibly needed particularly because It's not like the districts had a ton of that to begin with. And I'm sure anything that they did have is gone by now, uh, since it's been a few months of of this war. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, at least they're providing that. Another thing that was just striking to me is when Katniss is thinking about the, you know, after the bombing of the infirmaries happened, she's just at a loss for why they would kill people who were already dying. Yeah. And she thinks about Gale, that he never underestimates the cruelty of those we face. Yeah. It was just kind of reminding me how there's often times in life where people around me are very affected or, like, surprised or completely baffled about some of the horrors in the world whereas i am not that i won't be like Yale and still rage about it yeah but i really never (laughs) underestimate the cruelty of humans because during university particularly in my my senior year i did a, a thesis project that was researching things about sex trafficking and it's like when you're spending hours and hours and hours just researching something that is so vile if people will pay to rape someone if people will keep people captive so that they can be raped for profit it's like they're really how much lower can humans sink like how much worse can they get than that Mm. and so it definitely contributed to my depression getting during that last year as well as getting out of university. But I think there's just a part of me that has 
never forgotten those things. And so I don't really underestimate how horrific people can be. So yeah, it was just kind of like, I get you, Gail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it, that moment struck me too. It was almost like the flip side of the conversations you've been having about how Katniss is, has been able to humanize the capital a bit more because she spent time with people from the capital mm-hmm. and how in many ways that's a great thing that she's able to have compassion for them even if she disagrees with them but one of the things that that can lead to is exactly what you're talking about that you then become so unfocused on that cruelty or the the potential of that cruelty that it can take you by surprise mm-hmm. yeah where I, i'm surprised when people do nice things <laughs> <laughs> good reason it's like people don't like to think that humans are evil (laughs) but like the fact that there are millions of people who are sex trafficked Mm -hmm. like if there are millions and they're being raped by a bunch and bunch and bunch of people each that means look how many people are involved in this you know so i i get it i as a historian, you know, like, you can't that study too. history <laughs> and not see the depravity of humanity. Yeah. But I still think I am much more optimistic about people than, than you are. Yeah. <laughs> the only time you're more like Katniss is when I'm exactly. the Gale of the situation. <laughs> this is what happens when Pete is not around. <laughs> Uh, another thing that was standing out to me is how Katniss has a strange thought that if she was in the arena together with the film crew, she would pick them as allies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just one sentence, but it shows, I mean, obviously we know that Pen and society is saturated in The Hunger Games, but... It's even more so the case for Katniss because, you know, besides her father's death, I think the Hunger Games have been the most defining events in her life. Mm -hmm. So she can't help but think about things through that prism, even when she hates the games, even, you know, though it's a strange thought to her. It's still a thought that comes to her. Yeah. Yeah, and... You know, I can imagine there's also an element of she's facing danger again mm-hmm. and how that must call back to the the trauma and the, the experiences of the arena. Yeah, I mean, the psychological trauma and also yeah. the bodily trauma yeah. because now she's been injured yet again. Mm-hmm. And then not knowing who around her she can trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, which is perfect. The, my last striking moment is I like how it shows that it's clear that Finnick also doesn't trust yep. District 13 or the Capitol Rebels entirely either since as soon as they see Peter's second interview he turns it off and says that they should pretend like they didn't see it mm-hmm. and yeah it, it's interesting because I don't know if he knows about what happened to Katniss's prep team maybe she would have told him if they spend time together that's not on the page or if he saw them in the hospital because he's there a lot. And regardless, why would he ever trust anyone? Yeah. What about you? What are your striking moments? Yeah, I had a few as well. The first one that came to me was when Katniss was entering the infirmary and the like sensory descriptions of mm. that part reminded me of the descriptions of the treatment of the prep team. Because in both of them, she talks about how she is seeing and smelling things that highlight the awful condition of these people. Mm -hmm. And at first, it just made me think, oh, I wonder if there's something about Katniss that's a little bit more sensory right now. Or if it's just something that I'm catching now that I don't usually catch. Um, Like fire? Yes, exactly. I've never caught fire, and I hope never to. My hair did once when I was blowing out candles on a birthday cake. It smells terrible. Actually, that is true. I think I did have a fireball, like, go up in my face once. (laughs) 
<laughs> when did that happen? Why would this be the case? Are you sure this wasn't a dream of you playing Super Mario Brothers? No, I think I was probably doing something wrong, dangerous. Yeah, ill-advised, <laughs> and uh, and that's what it resulted in. Oh, fun. Should we? I put fire in your face to see if it'll jog the memory. Sure. Yeah. Let's do it. Anyway, yeah, I just I thought it was an interesting connection between those two scenes. Hmm. But there are a few other things that that I was interested in as well. One was how she talks about how she she recognizes now the power that she has and mm -hmm. how she was the Mockingjay to these people before she ever accepted the position and how other people were able to see her power even before she did. It kind of reminds me of our conversations that we've had about how she has been a player in the games and I think that she's coming to that realization now as well that she hasn't been a piece for some time that she has been a player who is able to make choices and, and decisions and have agency even as that's limited and she's facing all the things that she's facing mm -hmm. similarly I was thinking narratively about the we remember propos which are looking back at the tributes from each district that have been killed through the Hunger Games. And that kind of struck me through this read-through. I forgot about it. But I think as we've been going through these books more carefully and talking about them and doing the other POV section and all these other kinds of things, those tributes have been more on my mind than they had in the past. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's just a really strong moment to show that narratively those deaths are not forgotten either yeah. that even as the plot has moved far beyond that and Katniss is playing a whole different game now than she's been playing in the past she still is part of something that is connected to the deaths in the Hunger Games that this has all been sparked from yeah absolutely I mean yeah I think that they are a great idea. Obviously, there's a strategic element there as well, mm -hmm. which is, you know, kind of emotionally manipulative. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but at the same time, yeah, I mean, it's giving tribute to someone in a way that they never had their life talked about publicly after the fact like that you know which probably would mean something to the districts and particularly the loved ones of of those dead kids yeah yeah i i really wish that we got to see some of those and, and what is said and if finnick is kind of narrating some of that some of these people he mentored yeah i mean how fascinating to talk about Cato and Clove and and people from the careers that mm -hmm. we within the games themselves you think of as the enemy yeah but reminding the districts and, and district two that you know they're kids and they're victims of a system as well yeah and I think that having another tribute go through that challenge is exactly what you're talking about that the Hunger Games tried to cast us as enemies, mm -hmm. but in fact, we were all victimized. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I mean, it would be fascinating. It would be so much worse, but it, it would be really fascinating if they even had Finnick talk about any of the people that he killed, mm -hmm. any of the people who were in his year. Yeah. Because again, that's nothing that those districts ever got to hear mm -hmm. any feeling of remorse or something from him because it's a victory to her yeah exactly the last striking moment that that i had was when hamich is threatening katniss and <laughs> explaining his displeasure with her and then says that he ate her lunch i know why are you such a schoolyard bully, Hamish? Well, that's the thing is, when I kind of <laughs> took a, a stop at that moment, I started thinking about that as, like, it shows a cruelty in Hamish. I mean, 
mean, she's trying to get better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Hamish is using hunger as a weapon against her. Hmm. And who else does that? Yeah, like in my notes, I capitalize hunger because mm. these are the hunger you games. You capitalize it. Good one. Yeah, but I think that it is a telling moment in a series that has hunger as such a central theme and component Mm -hmm. that just kind of made the moment i think more than just part of their spat but i think a a a real character moment that i I don't think i ever saw before Mm. and it also really annoyed me because i'm like oh so now you'll wait for hours by her bed when you want to threaten her but not to tell her what's happening Mm -hmm. and apologize to her for gaslighting her and lying to her yeah Hamish, Hamish, Hamish. What? That wasn't planned at all. It wasn't, but it was necessary. Yes. Well, let's go into our next segment from another point of view, where we look at perspectives other than Katniss's. So who did you want to bring? There were two main ones that I was thinking about, and neither are like a specific person exactly. Okay. So the first one is the film crew. Hmm. You know, Gil's like, oh, they're starting to grow on me after he realizes that they didn't go to the bunker. They mm-hmm. didn't take cover when the bombings were happening, but they continued to get footage. I was like, yeah, I mean, they were willing to do what, who knows, maybe even Gail wouldn't have been willing to do, which is give up everything, risk torture and death for a cause that doesn't benefit them or their loved ones. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking about that commitment and them in that moment having to make these decisions, whether they're going to follow Katniss and Gale and not go to the only safe place. So I was thinking about the fear that they must have felt being around bombings. They couldn't have been around bombings before from the Capitol. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I could only imagine how terrifying that would be because I don't understand that either. You know, I've, I've never had to experience that. And yet their passion propelling them on to, to follow and get the best footage that they can for this cause. And I was also thinking about determination they probably feel Mm -hmm. to show those who are skeptical of them because they're from the capital that they're committed to this cause that they will die for it if it comes down to it so not only because they're committed but also running through their minds when they're making that decision like we have to we have to do this now we can't just cower and hide this is the only way we'll be able to help this cause. It's definitely impressive. I, I have no idea how I would react in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. I Maybe if, if I had thought it through ahead of time, but if I hadn't thought it through ahead of time, run away. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's climb up here with these cameras. <laughs> like... Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a really great way of introducing them. Because, yeah, right off the bat, we're seeing the same way Gail sees, like, the extent of what they're willing to do. Mm-hmm. And also the respect they have for what they're doing. You know, we see that with Cressida as well in advocating for Plutarch to give them more time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was even thinking about how only one of them went up onto the roof with them. Uh, which was probably a strategic decision because if it did get bombed, you don't want to lose both of your camera people. Camera people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, they're really showing their talent and their knowledge in their craft. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, not just anyone can do this. Mm-hmm. In circumstances like this, being able to get right angles and follow what they need to be following can't just give a random District 13 person a camera and and, and you'll get these results. Yeah, absolutely. I can't even take a good selfie. Like, (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the other one that I was thinking about is 
the people in the districts that are seeing this first propo. I don't know, just the elation mm. that for the first time they see something on their TV screen that isn't capital propaganda. Yeah. Or capital cruelty and torture of them. Mm-hmm. And seeing Katniss alive, seeing these two kids from District 12 taking down bombers you know and just the feeling of i don't know maybe power a renewed hope doubling down and okay this is why we're doing this we can do this and just being fired up by katniss's speech which is moving Mm -hmm. and fired up yeah (laughs) and then when the next one airs that next day that shows the faces of all of these different people who were killed by the Capitol in this bombing, how sad that is, but also, I don't know, maybe how relieving in a way, too, mm-hmm. that these atrocities are finally being shown for what they are, and there's some accountability because there was obviously so much pushback in all of these districts as soon as they started uprisings and it's been months and months of this and even if their people and the faces of their loved ones that have died in this fight aren't shown others are mm-hmm. and and I yeah I just was imagining how it would just be a completely new feeling because there's never been anything like it before. Hmm. Yeah. You can really see how this would motivate people, how this yeah. could affect people. I think it's not just because of what Katniss says, although that's certainly part of it, but it's because Katniss makes these kinds of statements best when she's addressing a clear cruelty so yeah letting her do that uh and having her be the first to make a statement on this awful bombing Mm -hmm. is definitely going to be something that the event itself but then her being the response to it would be a huge add to the enthusiasm of Mm -hmm. those who are fighting yeah yeah you know where Coin might have not thought all of this is worth the cost mm-hmm. initially. I think she's quickly understanding that, yeah, it is worth the cost totally. for how it aids the fight. And yeah, I think that there also is probably something to knowing that this is being broadcast probably in all of these districts. And this may be kind of feeling like a not quite national because there's the capital <laughs> and there's district two, but a very widespread kind of grieving about all of the death and destruction that is happening at the hands of the capital. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know that I'm very affected by things like that, but I know some people are very affected by news coverage of disasters and things like that you think of something like september 11th like every year people need to talk about it i don't feel the same way about september 11th obviously it was a terrible thing that Mm -hmm. happened but it's like i also understand why it happened which americans don't like to talk about (laughs) the imperialism and the terrible things that we've done for decades in in the middle east and so it's just like i don't have the same feeling yeah a lot of the country does when it comes to that but i still remember witnessing that uh or a better example the the grieving that so many people had after trump won the election Mm -hmm. that's that's one i did participate in (laughs) (laughs) and a feeling that other people were also feeling that too was at least something you know yeah absolutely which is also why listening to AOC's speeches and things like that can be really affecting too, mm. because it's like, oh, there is a voice for 
people who are progressive and intelligent and principled you know bernie as well and you know other other folks totally Um, but yeah yeah i i i see what you mean (laughs) (laughs) but what about you who are your other points of views Uh, i was thinking about paler Mm. because when they first meet paler she's clearly competent but a little prickly i guess you could say i mean maybe she 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 just is she's curt she doesn't seem to have time yeah. for them. <laughs> well, and that's that's kind of what I was thinking through. Is like, what you know, what is behind her statements? And and I started thinking a lot about kind of what it must be like for her at this point because we see, for example, Gail's criticism of the, the location and you know bringing everyone together in that way. But Paler just says, you know, if you've got a better idea and Coin would approve it, let me know. Yeah, yeah, by all means. Would love that. Great. Which, for one, I think is probably because she has tried to come up with better solutions mm-hmm. and been unable to. And also, to get back to your point on the capital sending supplies, mm-hmm. I'm sure she's also frustrated with how little supplies yeah. and support <laughs> she's getting. Who knows how much District 13 is sending, you know? Yeah. The fact they're sending anything is a good thing. But, uh... <laughs> Probably like Katniss, she's also like, where have you been? Exactly. Yeah. So I can imagine her specifically saying, if you can get Coin's approval, is saying, we have come up with plenty of suggestions on how to do this. <laughs> and Coin shoots us all, down all All going to District 13. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why don't you send some hovercrafts for us all? So it's like... Yeah, why don't why don't you take us then? Yeah, but Coin is almost certainly saying no. That it's too costly. We don't have the resources for that. No, we can't do that. I mean, at the very least, they can't take everyone in Panama. Yeah. It's that it, that part is so. Impossible. There are limits, but yeah. from someone in Paler's position, I can imagine just the frustration that comes with understanding that there is no clean solution because they don't have access to what they need to provide those solutions. And, so, and then this little man boy who doesn't know anything about the situation is mm-hmm. coming in here and criticizing the situation that we barely even set up. Exactly. So I understand the curtness uh, in that response. The other response I was really thinking about was when she mentioned that they weren't sure that Katniss was alive, mm-hmm. uh, which is echoed by another person who Katniss talks about inside the infirmary. And... This, to me, I think, was showing more of your point on how Finnick doesn't trust 13. I think they're having an undercurrent that shows no one really trusts 13 Mm. outside of 13. Or at least they don't give complete trust to 13. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, as the woman in the infirmary says, we'd heard that you were alive, but we didn't know. So... Mm. They were getting that information, and I imagine they were getting that information from sources that were talking about the rebellion and everything like that, but they couldn't say they they knew that was true because they don't trust those sources implicitly. Mm-hmm. And again, Paler having the relationship with Coin that she seems to have, I can imagine there being distrust there <laughs> as well. So, Well, and who knows? Maybe she doesn't entirely trust Katniss. Totally. You know, she sees Katniss kill people on screen. Mm-hmm. She sees her love-struck schoolgirl act. You know, maybe she, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't know her personally. So who knows what she's like. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine her being frustrated that Katniss hasn't done anything sooner. Mm-hmm. Whether she believes in Katniss or not, she knows the effect Katniss will have on her people. Yeah. And... She encourages Katniss to go inside because her being there, she knows, would have a a positive effect. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just, it's only, we only see her in a couple scenes here, but I think it really does provide a lot of extra world building and context for what District 8 is probably going through and how the relationships within the Rebellion, you know, what those dynamics are like. Yeah, definitely. And she, like, has the head wound. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just trying to stand on my feet. Can you just, like, <laughs> get your camera out of my face? <laughs> well, let's head into our touch points. This is the section where we talk about connections between the story and our own society. So I was thinking about District 8. 
like I mentioned before in our Catching Fire read-through when we were talking about Bonnie and Twill and textile imports coming into the United States being primarily from China, Vietnam, South Asia, I was thinking about Paler watching Katniss to see her reaction to the warehouse of dying people mm. and how even though obviously these places definitely have very urbanized areas they have tons of development or technology there's also a lot of places in these countries and regions that there's still a lot a lot of poverty so i was just thinking about when privileged people <laughs> go to these places or think about these places how we probably just are the worst mm-hmm. <laughs> and i mean i i had an experience like this actually i was in argentina many many years ago and we were in a, a pretty impoverished rural area and there was just somebody with our group that was just like "Ugh, it smells like i'll say the word shirt so we don't you know, have to beep it out. Can't get that explicit tag. <laughs> no. No. And I'm just, I was just like so horrified. Yeah. And it's like, how can you be like this, you know? But also remembering how the year before when I was in Peru and I was also, I was at this slum town and at the time being very almost, I don't know, the right term for it but you could think of maybe kind of borderline germaphobic sort of Mm. thing like i remember the bathroom situation being very unsanitary and me just like kind of internally ah, panicking a bit and having to like get over that and be like this is all these people have like Mm -hmm. and and so yeah i was just kind of thinking about that when she's watching her reaction to see like how privileged are you in this regard how sheltered are you from this can you not stomach this then why are you the person who are our symbol of revolution yeah and then i was also thinking about different factory disasters in south asia hmm uh in the past and so i i looked up more of the specifics because you know with this whole building just collapsing yeah and so many of the textiles that we're importing coming from this area of the world thinking about the unsafe working conditions Mm -hmm. that are involved with so many of the factories in the garment industry yeah they're just they are notoriously dangerous and unsanitary or even like structurally faulty mm-hmm. and the factories in Bangladesh, india pakistan sri lanka are particularly bad mm. and, and we're not even focusing on the abysmally low wages or the terrible working conditions that lead people to actually contract illnesses yeah or get heart problems because of the outrageous work hours they're required to do. Mm-hmm. So even outside of that, <laughs> in 2013, in Rana Plaza, which is near the capital of Bangladesh, a building that housed five different garment factories collapsed. A few hours after, employees complained that cracks had formed in its walls. But they were not allowed to leave the building unless they wanted to face potentially being fired now and the final death toll from that was 1134 people (sighs) from buildings collapsing on these people yeah entirely preventable entirely preventable and 15 american companies who source products from there refused to sign an accord that required a five-year commitment to conduct independent safety inspections of factories and pay for safety improvements what a surprise and let's just name them should we take the time yes Yes, we we should should. because 
they should be publicly shamed. Walmart, Gap, Macy's, Sears, JCPenney's, The North Face, Target, Kohl's, Oshkosh, Bagosh. Oh, but they love children. Nordstrom's, American Eagle, Foot Locker, The Children's Place, which sounds kind of creepy. I don't know what they do. And the ironically named Cato Fashion, spelled like Cato. Mm. And of the 29 brands that source products from Rana Plaza factories there, only nine of the companies attended meetings to agree on proposed compensation to victims or the surviving family members. And among those that refused to sign were also Walmart and even some European companies, including a French multinational retailer that is one of the eighth largest retailers in the world by revenue hmm. no we can't we can't pay a little bit of compensation to people and this was months after the fact mm-hmm. of course not and the year prior to the collapse of these factories in pakistan 289 people died and 600 were seriously injured in textile and shoe factory fires. And so it's like, this has not been an uncommon thing, but these capitalist companies do not care that it is happening to brown Asians across the world. They just want cheap labor. And if they die, they die. Yeah. If they're wounded and disabled for life, oh well, we don't care. So yeah, that it was just remind. Obviously, this is a different situation because the actual bombing occurred, but it's coming from the capital. <laughs> we are the capital, benefiting from the exploitation and endangerment of these people. Um, Absolutely, because. Not only is it awful that this happened to these people, but it's illustrative of how little they're cared for. Because if literally even the building that they're in can't be relied on to not kill them, Mm -hmm. they're also not getting good work hours, not getting good pay, not getting healthy living conditions, healthy working conditions. You know, Mm -hmm. none of those other things are going to be provided for because not even the barest minimum can be provided exactly you know how they're treated in every other way if they can't even rely on the fact that a building won't collapse on their head and they'll be allowed to leave yeah because even the building at least is also valuable to its owner yeah yeah so yeah i was just thinking about how the capital will just kill all these people and not care and the United States does the same thing in slightly a different way. In in, in this in, circumstance, in, at least. Yeah, in, in the global economy sense. And, you know, we, we fund these companies. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's that. There is that. And the only other one I'll touch on before we go to you is just when Gail very cynically and rightly says... Well, if the capital wins, what will it do with a bunch of damaged slaves? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, not to say that everybody that lives in the United States is a slave to capitalism, but a lot of us are crushed by capitalism, certainly. And the fact that the country doesn't care about giving adequate resources to people with disabilities or even the CDC mm-hmm. still continue to have requirements for people to wear masks or everybody has to get vaccinated. You know, it's just like people don't seem to care if it's the disabled who are dying off mm-hmm. because they're not quote unquote productive members of society in the same way able bodied people are, or that's how it's viewed yeah. anyway. And so. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh... Horrific? Yeah. I mean, it it goes to the same issues with education and other kinds of things that we see in our society where corporate taxes and these other kinds of things can only be raised so much because all they need is to have a workforce. 
and mm-hmm. a consumer force. That's it. They don't, you know, yeah. having a educated, healthy society. No, they don't need that. No, no. Beyond a certain point, once they have their workers, they have their consumers, they don't need it. They want people to have enough babies so that they'll always have enough workforce. Mm-hmm. So that the the wealthiest people can just keep making more and more and more money that they can't even use in multiple lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to America. Capitalism, am I right? Mm-hmm. What about you? What are your touch points? Well, to give another example of Americans benefiting from the destruction of other people, I want to talk about the firebombing of Tokyo. Yeah, let's do that. I was so. also thinking about that, but I'm like, <laughs> I've already gone too deep into this one area. <laughs> so... In World War II, obviously, people know about Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the atomic bombings there, uh, with good reason. But Americans are much less likely to know about the firebombing of Tokyo. And this was a concerted effort to attack the industrial center of Japan, being Tokyo, though similar tactics were used in 20 other cities around Japan. And it was to use explosives that are meant to cause spreadable fires. So it is not just about destruction of a specific location. This is the opposite of a targeted bombing run. It is a bombing run that's meant to destroy as much as possible in a location that is not just industrial. And even if it was just industrial, it doesn't mean it's just military. So, <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, these are things Nazis were doing, right? People like to talk about, oh, bombings in the UK, you know? And mm-hmm. it's like... Yeah, that's bad, but where are all of the film depictions of what was happening, what we did to Tokyo and these other cities? Totally, yeah. Because over the course of one night, what's called Operation Meeting House had several hundred American bombers go out to Tokyo, and in one night, 16 square miles of the city was destroyed. Over 100,000 people were killed, with a million more injured, and a million people were left homeless. So that's actually more deaths than any other single night of bombing in a human history Mm -hmm. was just from this one night in Tokyo. And of course, there were other bombings uh, of the city. And like Hiroshima and certainly like Nagasaki, this is done as a message of cruelty and force. Mm -hmm. It's not done to take out a military complex. It's not done as an act of war. It's It's done as a way of saying... You should end the war with us because we are so powerful that we can and will destroy everything, which Mm -hmm. is what happened with Snow's message. This wasn't a hidden aspect of the Capitol's war. This was live aired because it was meant to be that message of cruelty. Absolutely. I mean, the U.S. was just the Capitol. They completely annihilated District 12. Mm -hmm. And now they're, like, just bombing everything to send a message. That's like, you dare defy us? You dare attack us? We will take everything from you. Yeah. And I think that another element that is important here, and why I think Katniss's message is also important, is because the memory of these kinds of atrocities is a crucial aspect of how a society deals with them in the future. And the fact that most Americans don't know that this even happened mm-hmm. could be linked to our willingness to go to war in Iraq and Afghanistan because we don't think about how we have done these kinds of atrocities in the past. In our national narrative is us being the heroes mm-hmm. of World War II. When it's like, we created a whole new type of atrocity. Mm-hmm. We tested out a bomb we didn't even know how it was going to work on civilians. Like, I just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and speaking of historical memory, I found out while I was looking up statistics for this that in 2019, a group of private people in Tokyo 
raised $800,000 to start a museum to this firebombing. Mm. Um, but this was privately financed, not by their government or anything. That same year, 100 times as much money was spent on a buildup of Mount Vernon here in the United States. Oh, The museum dear. of <laughs> George Washington's estate. Uh. So that 800000 is equal to 1% of the amount that was put towards that museum. Who was then slave bear. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So these are the disproportionate ways that resources are also put into what is memorialized, what is remembered, and how society thinks about things. So Mm -hmm. all of those are important things to think about. Well, I can't wait and also am... Ugh, it would it would be rough <laughs> once this museum happens in Japan. Would love to visit, but everyone who has the financial means should go to the museum in Hiroshima. Yeah, like every American who has the means, they just should. Yeah, because you cannot be an American without this blood on your hands yeah yeah i mean i could do a whole podcast on the power and interesting facets of that entire complex uh because it's just mm-hmm. amazing um in so many ways how the, that community responded Absolutely. and how they they use that as a piece for education yeah yeah just yeah. really amazing yeah absolutely amazing i have one more historical topic Uh-oh. uh i want to talk about propaganda because um, yes. we're really starting to get into the war of propaganda that becomes such a crucial part of the story, where the propos that they are filming, you are starting to hear the rationale behind them, the techniques that they're using, and of course seeing things like the interviews with PETA that are being used on the other side. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a clear part of this war, just as it has been in wars at least since World War One, But... Propaganda, I think, historically is also kind of interesting because for for many years, propaganda is kind of a, a dirty word. It's got this negative connotation to it of being something that is misleading and overly biased and all these other kinds of things, which it didn't start that way. That Those are all kind of cultural connotations that the word has gained over time. It began as a uh, just like an objective, like neutral term for Catholic missions. They were propagating oh, Catholicism no. during the Counter Reformation. Terribly appropriate, right? Oh. And so, I mean, you you can have an opinion on Catholic missions, but the term what did not have a negative connotation when it was used in that way. It was just a, a procedural term, essentially, or an organizational term for those groups. Except for the people that they were going to proselytize to of course i mean a lot of this was yeah in in trying to counter upcoming protestants in europe oh okay but still but i mean this is the same time period that jesuits were going to japan and to africa and south america so yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but the term propaganda started getting it more negative light as it was seen to be more political starting with the french revolution in the 1790s and in particular i think the one of the great connections with what we see in the book is that propaganda's expansion has often been very, very closely linked to new technologies. So the expansion of propaganda, especially in the 19th century, happened because the printing press was expanding throughout mm-hmm. Europe and the Americas. And so as the printing press went out, then there was a opportunity for these kinds of ideas, for political propaganda, uh, cultural propaganda, to be sent out to more people in new ways, uh, not just printed, you know, newspapers and things like that, which is certainly a thing, but also being able to print images, which could be very affecting as we've seen propaganda posters and, and things like that. Yeah. Uh, early 20th century, movies come out, another new technology, and having propaganda films of, especially during wartime, became a very, very important uh, type of, of issue. Uh, one of the things that, that Hitler saw as one of the reasons that Germany lost World War I was because of the effectiveness of the UK's propaganda machine, which is why he just created, like, a ministry for propaganda. Like, <laughs> it literally had it in the name. He was not shying away from it at all. He was like, this is important. And so then, yeah, now, now we have television, 24-hour news networks that 
certainly operate as propaganda and uh, social media, which I think are new forms of propaganda that are being used with bots and alternative facts and fake news and all these other kinds of buzzwords that have come around it. But As just... well as school textbooks. Totally. I mean, absolutely, yes. So in connecting to the Hunger Games, I think that seeing how they are using these technologies of not only filming these propos, but being able to directly screen those in places that have no power to turn this on or turn this off, mm-hmm. uh, I think is also really important because a lot of propaganda things, they're put up maybe in public places, they're shown at movie theaters, they're you know used in different places, but there's an element of agency of you can at least turn away, you can at least not watch that or, or what have you. Here, they're using the capital technology that forced the districts to watch the Hunger Games and now forcing the districts as well, and hopefully at some point the capital, to watch their propos. Which, yeah, I just think that is a uh, a good mirroring of how propaganda is so tied to new technologies as new forms of manipulation and coercion. Yeah, Absolutely. And how then capitalists are like, ooh, we can use this in commercial form to make more money. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Right. At this point, propaganda is done more by commercial interests than political interests. I don't know if that's true, (laughs) but it's just both now. Yeah. We just don't watch the news. I mean, that's true, but you could say that every YouTube ad, every ad on TV is commercial propaganda. Every poster that you drive by on the, the road, you know? But both are both are active in our society. It's true. But isn't every capitalist commercial political propaganda against communism? I mean, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> political propaganda uplifting the American capitalist hegemony. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who then... Fill the pockets of the people who buy the political, quote-unquote, elected officials. Totally, yeah, yeah. Uplifting (laughs) white supremacist patriarchy. Yeah, Yeah, it's all tied together. It's it's all connected. (laughs) It's this awful web of awfulness. (laughs) Yup. Well, let's go into our wonderments. Uh, What we're wondering, what we're thinking about, questioning after reading through these chapters. What's on your mind? Yeah, I was kind of wondering if documentaries exist in the Capitol. Because the way that the film crew reacted, even in these terrible circumstances, like, kind of reminds me of how oftentimes people who are journalists or documentary filmmakers are in just completely dangerous situations. Mm, Yeah. to do those things and so yeah it just it made me have that question like does this exist even if it's obviously it's not gonna be about what's happening in the districts but it could be something like my octopus teacher which is a great documentary and we could extrapolate on top of it that you know, you could watch this and then maybe think about what we're doing to the, our oceans. You could think about the ethics of eating octopus, you know, like things oh, like that. So this pro-octopus, <laughs> anti-human propaganda is what you're saying. <laughs> hey, maybe if octopuses took over the world, it wouldn't be the worst thing. <laughs> Go watch the documentary. It is amazing. Anyways, so yeah, it was just a question I had or whether they only have the sorts of, like, film and television that are made-up stories mm. or The Hunger Games, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, and that's interesting. Yeah. The other question I had is why Hamish was so angry about Katniss taking her earpiece out. Because that's a very Katniss thing to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... I don't even think he wouldn't do that, you know? <laughs> and so, yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't know if for him it's a level of control and being disrespected in that way after she had 
listened to his advice and different things so much prior to the betrayal. Betrayal. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, if it's, you know, if he kind of still thinks of her in a way as one of his mentees, that he actually could communicate with somebody who was in a dangerous situation. Like, he could never do when other tributes were in the Hunger Games Mm. that he had to mentor. And he's like, I have a different vantage point than you do. I'm trying to help you survive. Listen to me, you know, if it was out of worry and concern for her well-being. I I, I don't know. Yeah, I I definitely see... I mean, it could be both. Totally. I can see a part of him being like, you frustrate me so much, but I'm also (laughs) one of the only people here who actually cares about you. Like, Mm -hmm. Coin and Plutarch are using you, which... They're allies, for now at least, but like <laughs> they, they, they don't care about you and your well-being. I do as much as you frustrate me, and this is how you treat me. Yeah. Although I kind of do wonder about that as well, because it was very interesting that Coin asked, are you okay with that, mm. to Katniss about her being in these really dangerous circumstances, which I'd forgotten that she'd asked. Yeah, which, that's true. You know? It does show something. It does mm-hmm. mean something. But it wasn't just like, okay, well, let's just do this because we're getting what we want out of it. It was at least a little bit of consideration for her as a human. Yeah, true. <laughs> what about you? What are your wonderments? I really would like to know how Snow worded his message about the bombing of the hospital. Mm-hmm. Because that is such a statement to advertise as this is what we're doing this is the message that we're sending and for a capital that is also calling for a ceasefire through PETA and trying to to sow that kind of dissension within the rebellion Mm -hmm. I just uh I think that it would be very telling to hear how he phrased the message of that bombing and how that illustrates the capital strategy and their situation, possibly, um, I think would be just very interesting. Totally, yeah. I mean, there you could go the route of denying that it happened. Mm-hmm. You could go the route of saying, we didn't know there were people in there. You could go the route of there were dangerous agitators, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so, yeah, that would be fascinating. Yeah. But that was my only wonderment. So why don't we go into our intentions? So I think mine is actually to watch more documentaries. Hmm. Because after the the second propo of the people in that makeshift infirmary, Finnick said people should know what happened and now they know. Hmm. And sometimes it's like I have a bittersweet feeling towards documentaries because there's the Ravenclaw mind. <laughs> and it's yep. like, ooh information knowledge but then there's the i'm really tired and i would rather watch something to unwind that isn't just so depressing yeah totally (laughs) uh so i often opt for the unwinding bit and yeah I'd, i'd like to make a point to watch more documentaries every year hmm that's great what about you My intention is for the remainder of this read-through to pay more attention to the film crew. Mm. Because I think that in my past read-throughs, they've kind of blended together quite a bit, and I just don't remember much about them outside of their basic story points. And so, yeah, I just, I really want to kind of take a look at who they are, what decisions they're making, kind of what we're learning about them, because... That's something that's really helped me in distinguishing a lot of the characters in this read-through, and uh, they're the ones I'm really looking forward to doing so in this book. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that will finally wrap up this discussion. (laughs) What's happening next time on The Hunger Games? So we are going to be reading Chapter 9, where the capital learns the drawbacks of live television. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. 
You can find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. And we hope that you'll join us on Patreon to become a supporter of the podcast, or just tell a friend about the show. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com, Instagram, or Patreon. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out! out.